Hello, friends. Um, I think I'm reading to you um, Mark 1, 14 to 20. Yep. So scroll away. Um, all right. After Jesus was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Thank you. We're really excited this morning because we have Rena preaching for the first time. Uh, so we're going to make Rena welcome. It's been great to have Rena uh, lead some of our gatherings and to hear some of her heart. And so we're really excited uh, for how Jesus is going to speak through her this morning. So let me pray and to listen to the word. Jesus, we thank you for your word and the way that it speaks into our lives, teaches us, encourages us, challenges us, convicts us. And we thank you for your people who respond to your call uh, to speak your words to us. We thank you for Rena. We thank you for her passion and her heart for you. We thank you for the way that you are using her uh, to bring many people to know you. And we thank you for her willingness uh, to share your word with us today. We pray that her words might be your words and that we would listen to her, but more than that, that we would listen for your voice mm. into our lives together as a community this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning, Richmond. Um, it's great to be with you this morning. Um, yeah, if you haven't met me before, my name is Rena, and I've been part of Richmond for a couple of years now. Um, we are coming to the end of our series with thinking about this idea of Jesus and you, uh, thinking about the plural you, um, thinking about what life with Jesus look, looks like as a family. Um, and as we're coming to an end, um, we're thinking today about evangelism. Um, we've been building up our way uh, for it, so I'm sorry for those of you who are new, and this might seem out of the blue, but yeah, we've just been thinking about how we can do this together and building up to evangelism at the end. Um, I remember when I was in middle school, back when I was in Egypt, um, about a year after I got saved, um, we'd just come back from a youth camp. Uh, and you know, after youth camps, you're so encouraged, you're so hyped up, um, you just want to do anything for Jesus. Um, and one day at school, we were heading to our um, service uh, for chapel, uh, and on the way we meet some of our mu Muslim friends, um, and we look to each other, my friends and I, and we're like, why not invite them? So we, we just say, hey, why not come with us? And they're like, oh, are you sure? Is it okay for me to be there? Um, and you know, in our culture, we don't really understand space. So we just say, just come with us. And they were interested, which is good. So they came with us. <laughs> they came along and sat for the service, and um, we're just listening, and you know, we're hearing, they're hearing more about Jesus, and we're just really excited about them being there. Um, after the service, we were telling a couple of our Christian um, teachers about this because we were so excited and wanted them to be excited with us. Um, 
but we tell them that our friends came with us to the service. Um, and they look at each other, and instead of being excited, their faces, you can see how alarmed it looks. Um, and they tell us if their families knew um, that they came to chapel service, they can go to the school board and the school could be shut down. And they just discouraged us from ever doing something like this again. Um, I didn't understand what we were doing then is some sort of evangelism. Uh, as a group of friends, we were just, you know, excited about Jesus. We've just experienced him, encountered him, and we wanted to share that um, just because he's amazing. Uh, so w whatever this was back then, though, um, I was discouraged from it. Um, and for a long time after that, uh, I thought, you know, people who evangelize, um, Christians who do that, seem to be the super ones uh, who just, you know, are ready to be ridiculed, are ready to, to face persecution. Um, and yeah, they're just so spiritual, and I, I don't think this is for me. Um, it's been a long time thinking that, but when I came to Australia, um, God was doing something new. Um, he was providing opportunities to grow, to understand more of the gospel, um, and the opposite was happening. There was people that God was surrounding me with that encouraged me to be a witness for Jesus and to speak about Jesus, um, which I've su suppressed for a long time. I still remember the first time I stepped out to witness on campus with um, the ministry on campus, ES. Um, an apprentice at that time, he was just so passionate about Jesus and passionate about going out and meeting people in the community and sharing about Jesus. And he wanted to invest in us, um, so he took us uh, one by one um, from uh, day to day um, to just show us what outreach might look like on campus. Uh, I remember how terrifying it was, um, you know, and all these questions come, like, what if I say the wrong thing? What if I make a mistake? Um, what if I can't answer a question that they have? Um, yeah, all, all these questions, I just, yeah, it was terrifying. Um, but I think I learned more than anything uh, by watching that apprentice and other friends who would go on outreach together, just seeing their passion and love for Jesus and wanting to make him known. Um, and from that time, I think God was showing me that it's not impossible, but I just needed to see it done. I do remember making lots of mistakes, um, saying the wrong thing at times, or even letting go of some of the opportunities that God was putting in front of me. But I also remember the urge to go, um, and the desire to make Jesus known, to tell others of how amazing it is. And just on the passages that we heard today, we're going to think more first on the Mark um, passage. Um, Feel free to open up on your phone devices or if you have Bibles with you. Um, when I reflect on it, I can't help but think how it was Jesus' desire and urge to make the kingdom of God known, to interrupt the people of Galilee in that way and tell them that this is good news coming to you. The announcement of the kingdom for them, for the Jews, you think it would have got them thinking. Um, if God's kingdom is here, it means that God has sent his Messiah, the king he promised, who will make everything right under God. 
And by Jesus sta stating that, he's in a way claiming that he's the king that people should look to. His call to repent, to believe the good news, is his heart crying out for people. Don't miss this. Don't miss the kingdom coming. Don't miss God sending the king for you, for people to come back, to leave that way of destruction and come back into God's kingdom. He came to his people. This is the king that we have, king who comes to his people. In our passage, Jesus doesn't just announce things publicly, but goes to specific people. He first approaches fishermen, to Andrew and Simon, uh, James and John, as they fish. He says, come, follow me. Who would have thought that the Messiah would come asking simple, ordinary fishermen to follow him? It's unlikely, right? But again, this is who Jesus is. This is our king. This is the kind of kingdom that he was bringing. Um, it's the kingdom where those invited are least likely to be invited, at least according to our human standards. Um, and he doesn't run background checks to find out how intelligent they are, or how good of communicators um, they could be, what about their temple education. No, none of these. He chose people probably much like you and me, not perfect in any, any way, um, flawed, but yet cold. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, by the way. <laughs> His invitation is this, follow me and I'll make you fishers of people. Sounds weird, but intriguing. When he invites them to follow him, he's given them a new identity and a new purpose. Following him means that their lives won't stay the same. It wouldn't look the same after they get to know him. He will change who they are, what they are known for, how they spend their time, change the purpose and calling of everything that they centered their life on. In a way, Jesus is saying to them, you are more than your trade. Because I call you, you'll do much more. Fishers of people, this new identity that comes in following and learning from him means being marked with his vision. And here's where we see what his mission is all about. It's all about people. Him announcing the kingdom, going to the disciples and asking them to follow him, the call to fish for others, it's him calling the lost to come and find him. God's heart is all about his people. It was never an agenda to start a new religion. It was never an, like a new ideology that are meant to gather more followers and more numbers. Even though it would be amazing for more people to come and know Jesus. But numbers in themselves is not what Jesus came for. Him coming is so that those who belong to God might repent and believe and come back to restoration with the Father. And that he is the one who is making that access to the Father possible. This is the good news. This is the kingdom coming. These fishermen probably just had woken up that day, um, you know, and they're expecting nothing but their morning routine. Okay, uh, we're going to fish, we're going to work, we're going to try and provide for our families. Um, but when Jesus invites them to follow him, they all go at once 
in verse 18, it says, they left their nets and followed him. And the same happens with James and John. Without delay, he called them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat and followed him. But at this point, what exactly in Jesus do they see here to compel them to follow him, to leave everything, to leave their jobs, their families, and just follow him? From their interaction with Jesus, it looks like this is probably not the first time that they meet. Because in John's Gospel, chapter 1, when Andrew with, um, was with John the Baptist and Jesus was passing by, uh, John pointed to Jesus and said to his disciples, Look, the Lamb of God. After hearing this, Andrew with another disciple, he follows Jesus and spends the day with him. The first thing that Andrew did afterwards was to find Simon, his brother, um, and, and just said, tell him, we found this Messiah, we found him, and then bring Simon to Jesus. Something about Jesus compels him enough to go after him, in a way stalk him, um, and spends the day with him and bring others to him, the closest to him, his brother. It's amazing when you read the Gospels and just see how people were wowed by Jesus and just couldn't help but tell others, you've you got to meet this man, you've got to meet him. One of the stories that gets me every time we read it, which um, Mark read for us um, so beautifully, is that, that encounter that this Samaritan woman had uh, with Jesus in, God, in John's Gospel, chapter 4. This woman's life, when you read about it, it was, her life was so isolated from her community uh, because the, of the shame that she feel, felt. She hid herself and her life from others. She was trying to find meaning, but in all the wrong places that couldn't satisfy her. Just read it again and see how many walls and barriers that Jesus had to break down to get to her heart. He breaks walls of social norms, dissatisfaction with life, and even religion. He showed her that he knows her, that he knows her needs, and how he alone has the living waters that overflows to eternal life, the living waters that could satisfy her and bring her to the truth. He gets her attention and she says, I can see that you're a prophet. And starts to ask him, you know, the deeper questions like where to worship, what about this, you say this, we say that. And Jesus says, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. Instead of religion and customs that could not save by just following, Jesus gives her a person. You worship the Father, he gives her a Father. You worship him in spirit and truth. That's when her heart opens and realizes that she needs to be on the right track. Okay, how can I find this father? The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And after breaking these walls and defenses, Jesus then introduces himself. I, the one speaking to you, I am he. 
You're told she leaves her jar at the well and she goes back to the town and says to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? After an encounter that changed how she sees everything in her life, it, she just couldn't help but go and tell others, come and see. See if, if that's him. This is the fruit of her testimony. They came out of the town and made their way toward him, as we see at the end. What can we learn from this? Do we see how this woman was just waiting for any sign of hope? How Jesus found her and showed her that he knew her when no one else wanted to? And even for us now, there are people around us everywhere who are living experiencing the same brokenness that this Samaritan woman experienced, waiting for someone to interrupt her life, waiting for someone to say, there is more. Um, last year, I was flying to Sydney for a conference with work. On the flight, I sat next to a lady I didn't know, um, and we, she had the window up, and she was sitting next to the window. I was sitting in the middle. Um, and uh, we were just admiring the clouds, you know, outside of the window, we were both looking. Um, so, yeah, I just expressed that. I was like, wow, the clouds look beautiful, and yeah, she agrees, and we get chatting. Um, and I learned that she's from originally from, originally from China, um, but has been living here for many years uh, in Adelaide. She visits her husband uh, in Sydney from time to time, but her uh, two daughters and her, they live here. Uh, so I ask her about her daughters, how old they are, are they going to uni, school. Um, she tells me that, um, yeah, she, her older daughter is at uni, but she's worried for her because um, she is not doing that well at uni. Uh, she feels that she's not that smart and um, she wouldn't probably be able to get a good job that secures, um, yeah, her future. Um, and after she tells me that, um, I share with her a little bit of my story. I say that, um, when my family and I first came to Australia, um, there was a big gap in currency between Egypt and here, um, and we actually couldn't live on much, and we just had to get by week by week. Um, but I say to her, you know, my family and I, we believe in God, um, and he's just provided everything we need. He's never been late. And she responds right away by saying, but not everyone believes in God. I'm like, mm-hmm. Can you tell me more about what you believe in? Um, she opens up to me about how uh, when she first came to Australia, she was actually invited to, um, yeah, to a church with her friends. Uh, and she did believe in Jesus for a while. Uh, but unfortunately, the pastor who led that congregation, uh, he committed fraud and was caught stealing money from the church. Uh, and from then on, the congregation uh, went separate ways and they didn't see each other again from that time. But she said to me, um, if the people outside of, inside the church seem like the people outside of the church, why should I believe anymore? So I, you know, I sit in that for a while and I say, I can, I'm sorry you experienced this. I can see that you've been hurt. Um, but I want to tell you that God isn't like the people who hurt you. Then I share with her my testimony. And I tell her about uh, some of the hypocrisy that I saw as well growing up in the church and you know, how these things didn't show me what the Father is like. Um, and it was actually in the darkest place that 
Jesus found me and gave me new life, and I was telling her about that and what it looks like. Uh, and I was continuing, I just looked towards her, and I see tears in her eyes. Um, so I ask her, why are you crying? Um, and she says, if Jesus found you, maybe he can find me too. Yeah, I was just sitting there, just feeling so convicted because I was sharing my story and just didn't expect that God would do anything with that. Um, but she, yeah, she just um, tells me actually deep down that she uh, misses that connection that she has, she had with God when she was going to church. And it would be like, you know, songs about father's love, the Father's love, and she would feel that and she would cry and she's like, I miss that. And she told me that even though she ran far away from God, she knew deep down that God is going to bring her back to himself. And so we're sitting there on the flight, crying together, talking more about the gospel. And, and just as the plane lands, um, we pray together uh, that from this day forward, um, that she's going to hold on to that hope and that God would encourage her and keep her close to him. So we exchange contact details. And last time I heard from her, she's been going to um, a Chinese congregation in Sydney. Uh, where other Christians continue that journey with her and continue, you know, showing her what the Father is really like, I hope and pray. Um, but I just believe that I'm going to see her in heaven one day. But, you know, after this happened and I was reflecting, thinking, like, how? How could that happen? How is it possible if, if God's Spirit hasn't worked in her heart? If all, like, all that I did was just ask some questions and share my testimony, these are just words. But the Spirit, He was stirring in her heart a longing for God, a longing to feel His love again. Humanly, humanly speaking, there would be nothing compelling for her to keep listening to anything after what she's seen. But, you know, through the Spirit, God's heart, just shows her, I'm not letting you go, you're my child, and I love you. And Jesus is revealed to her all over again. This is the love of the one that we follow. This is his power, and the power that he's given us by his spirit to witness. We can do nothing apart from him. Um, I know oftentimes when we hear about like evangelism or mission, it could feel like a big burden that we don't feel ready for. And we're often afraid of uh, interrupting people's lives because the gospel, its nature is interruptive because um, it makes you question things in your life. It makes you question, do I see myself believing in this? Is this credible enough? Is this reasonable enough? And you know, you could think to yourself, what if I mess up an opportunity rather than make the most of it? You know, all these fears and questions we might have when we go about thinking about evangelism or mission or any kind of witnessing. Um, I have just a, like a short, funny video that maybe Greg can put up um, of maybe like that shows our feelings of evangelism uh, when we go about it. I don't know if it has, it probably doesn't have sound. Oh, it's okay. It wouldn't come up. That's all right. If it's not frozen, we can show it, but don't worry about it. 
But yeah, anyway, we think it will be like really awkward and we have to like muster this courage to ask that one question. Um, but in our lives, it's actually more relational. It's as you do life together that these kind of topics come and you ask the deep questions. Um, when you have good news, it's natural to want to share it, right? Um, I love how here at Richmond, when there's something good happening in our lives or in our families, you know, people getting married, uh, people having babies or getting a job, you just can't help but want to share that with others. You want others to come and join in your joy, right? Um, do we see the gospel in the same way? We see it in the same light as good news. Because God has given us the best news of his kingdom. Do we still ha see how good it is that we have Jesus, that we are brought into his kingdom and there's an invitation for others to see and taste the same? Our Father rejoices when a sinner repents. When Jesus told that bar parable in Luke 15, which I think um, most of us here would be familiar with, um, he talks about finding that one lost sheep. He said, when he finds it, he puts it joyfully on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. And we are his friends and his neighbors on the other end, rejoicing when he finds that lost sheep, that lost child. Not only that, but we are invited to be part of them coming to him and finding their home with the Father. And Jesus assures us, he says, my sheep will hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I think we need to understand this um, and to believe it because when we step out in faith, otherwise the burden, it will feel like a burden that we can't carry, the burden of evangelism and mission. We will see needs that we can't meet but not when Jesus carries that with us. There is a quote that comforts me every time I feel inadequate to uh, witness to others, and you might have heard it too. Um, I don't know actually who's it by, but it says, God doesn't call the equipped, but equips the called. It's true when you look at the disciples, you see that in their lives. Um, you see it with different people in the Bible and how inadequate they felt when God first called them, but he does his work. So we don't need to rely on ourselves, but lean on Jesus. After all, he's given us the most powerful tools. He's given us his gospel. He's given us his spirit. Imagine the disciples going in the book of Acts when they are meant to go on mission and now win more part of the world without the power of God with them would have failed probably on day one. So it's not by how smart or st strategic we think we are or how good at communicating that we might be um, so that others can come and believe. No, it's the gospel that has the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Our confidence is him. He saves. We're just his hands and his feet. And in abiding in him, we are filled with his love and compassion. 
to go to the world around us. And he wants to bring this posture of intentionality, looking for these opportunities, seeing them when they are in front of us, and taking them by his courage. What does it look like to wake up knowing, hey, today isn't just another day. It's another opportunity to shine his light. So how do we go about this um, in our day-to-day -day life? Um, I think um, the enemy, the devil, he wants to trap us in this duty mindset. Um, you should do this because you're a Christian. Uh, you should say this because you follow Jesus. Um, and, you know, try and guilt us into it. Um, but as Elliot reminded us at the beginning of the series with um, the verse from Romans 1, 16, the spirit we receive doesn't make us slaves to fear again, but adopted sons and daughters. Our doing starts from seeing who Jesus made us to be first. Children, adopted sons and daughters. It's in a place where we realize that and let it sink deep in our hearts, that we can live in gratefulness and let that overflow. It's when we see how we freely first have received, then we can freely give. And we don't need, again, to carry a burden that Jesus has carried before us, that he continues to carry with us. But let that life in him overflow to everyone searching for something more. Like the Samaritan woman, she couldn't help but go to the people. Um, you know, some Christians I hear before they, call, they called her an evangelist. I think, yes, in a way, she's an evangelist because she goes to people who don't know about Jesus and she shares. Um, but I doubt that she was like, okay, I just met the Messiah, probably. Maybe I should evangelize. Um, no, she, she just has this encounter with him and she, she's in awe. She just wants to, to share that. Her world has just been, you know, flipped upside down. Um, and she just met the king. Just go and share. Come and see. She says to them, come see the one who changed my life, the way that I now see things. Or like Andrew, after spending the day with Jesus, he goes to the people he's closest with, his brother, says, dude, we found the Messiah. Come, meet him. At the ministry that I'm serving with at Focus, um, we often tell the students who have on their hearts to witness to their friends um, about Jesus that uh, a good goal to aim for is that your friend is left knowing more about Jesus than they would have before they actually chatted um, about anything spiritual. And trust that God will bring the increase. Maybe we don't need to see ourselves much as soul winners, but more as seed sowers. How can we do that together as family? I've been speaking more about like, you know, how to think about it, how like building, I guess, that foundation of evangelism, but we know Jesus calls us collectively together as a family, as a community, to do this together. So where do we start? Um, again, with the students that I'm serving with, I love it when they are meeting with a friend uh, and chatting about Jesus or reading the Bible with them. Uh, and they invite me to be part of their conversation, uh, to share their dream, to champion them and pray for their friends. 
And in doing that, by seeing each other in action, and we both have the same desire, let's be light, let's love on this person and show Jesus, we actually learn from each other. For example, because um, they're friends and they know each other's world, um, sometimes they can think of a question uh, and ask that question uh, that I could never think about, for example. Like it wouldn't just come to my mind. But they know their friends and they know their, how they think. Um, and it just relates well to them. There's something about doing it together. There is a reason why Jesus sent the disciples in pairs on mission, just as we saw last week as Brad unpacked for us. When you're together, you, you don't feel alone. You're encouraged. You have the same vision. You have the same desire. When you're stuck, the other person can jump in. And there's just a sense of togetherness. So I'm sure there are like, ways we can do that together here as well. Um, I know because we come from different backgrounds and different jobs and uh, different capacities, it will look different from person to person according to how you spend your day. Um, but how can we take this call of Jesus to see that we are all called to be his light and to invest in those around us like Jesus did? We don't need to spend much time thinking, oh, do I have the gift of evangelism to love this person and share with them about Jesus? Because as a family, we can learn from Jesus' heart and share in his heart for the lost and step into these different capacities in which, whatever way that he calls us to by his spirit. Um, but I think it all starts with praying together, like um, Elliot reminded us uh, that first week. In our workplaces, in our families, in our friends' circles, who has God put on your heart to share his good news with? Why not share that with others here so that we can share your dream we can pray with you, partner with you in sharing um, the gospel. And here's a suggestion for gospel group leaders. In your gospel groups, why not create a space intentionally uh, for the group to share about who they are around um, and how they are hoping to share the gospel with them. And just ask, hey, can, how can I help with that? How can I be part of that? Um, can you think of any ways that I can be there with you, as, again, as a group? When someone is telling you about these different opportunities that they have and God is putting before them and they just need encouragement, um, why not ask, hey, can I, can I pray with you for that now? I know we oftentimes say, I'm going to pray for you later and we oftentimes forget, uh, but why not just like stop and, and reflect that, hey, God is, our, is here in this conversation even among us. How can we include him as part of this conversation and come together, praying together for that? Um, my culture is closely tied to food. We eat a lot. And we have this expression called empty stomach. I think you'd have it here as well. Um, whenever we see someone looking kind of tired, we don't assume any other reason for that except that they haven't eaten well. And they just need to eat. You go like, oh, are you going on an empty stomach today? You need to eat. Let's bring you some food. I wonder sometimes when we think about outreach or evangelism, the reason why it might feel like a burden or a heavy load is because we try to go it alone. Um, 
it might feel like we're going on an empty stomach. Especially when you feel dry and just um, in need of encouragement. So how can we draw from the spirit? How can we draw from being in each other's company in that? And letting our inner being be fed and encouraged to help each other have an intentional attitude toward those in our community, like in our community who might be new, to see together these opportunities to love and to welcome, and for others to experience Jesus' love through us. See, wow, this is different. God is among you. Like last Friday at dessert night, we were just sitting there like at one of the tables, um, and we had, you know, some old friends and some new friends and visitors, and somehow we find ourselves talking about testimonies and just sharing how Jesus has been at work in our lives and how we've each experienced him. It just happens. And how beautiful this one happens with a group. We all have different strengths that we can learn from each other. Uh, some of you are really good at meeting neighbors, for example. Uh, for me, when it comes to meeting neighbors and connecting with them, I have the social skills of a potato. But someone like Sarah uh, just is brilliant at meeting neighbors and loving on them and inviting them to these different things. Maybe I just need to spend time with Sarah. <laughs> you right with that, no? <laughs> or you might be really good at um, inviting friends to church, like Naomi. Um, she has this way of asking people, her friends, by saying, when you come to, with me to church, not if you, but when you come to me, with me to church, um, I just learned this from her the other day, but just this courage, like, I can learn from this courage, like, by hearing her, and so, there's so much that we can learn from each other, by just sharing stories, by sharing how our feelings, how, how are we actually thinking about evangelism, how do we, yeah, how do we see ourselves in these different spaces? So who has God put on your heart? For some of you, the answer is clear, and God has been actually prompting you towards a particular person or a particular group of people. Maybe it's someone from work, maybe it's a close friend, or maybe it's uh, actually an old Christian friend who's discouraged um, in their pursuit of Jesus at the moment. Or maybe at the moment you're praying and seeking God and asking him, who can I invest in God? Help me make my schedule more open for them. So as I, f as I finish up, I want to give you a moment to reflect on that. Think of that person or think of that group of people that God has put in your heart. Put them now before Jesus in prayer. Pray for them. Then I'll pray for us um, at the end. And I just encourage you afterwards at coffee time uh, to, to chat to each other about who these people are that God has put in your heart? How do you feel about reaching out to them and encourage each other in that as you pray and as you think together? So I'll give you a moment now. Pray, reflect on that person, and I'll pray for us.
Father, thank you so much for your unfailing love. Thank you that you have first pursued us when we haven't deserved your goodness, when we didn't do anything to earn it. You saw us and you knew us and you know the depth of our hearts and you still love us the same. God, we thank you that this is who you are. Thank you that we have this assurance of that gift of hope, that kingdom, the, the gift of your kingdom because of what Jesus has done, because of what he accomplished for us. Thank you that he bore our sin and shame and that we can know you and have relationship with you and just enjoy that forever. Father, please help us see this every day, that we'd abide in that truth and let you refresh our hearts with that truth, that we know that we belong, that we know that we have freely received so that we can freely give. Father, it's on your heart to go to those who don't know you yet and tell them that you love them, that you are offering your son for them. Please show us how we can show that love to them. Jesus, you did whatever you saw the Father doing and we just want to do what we see you doing. So please be with us, empower us as a community, help us, encourage each other, help us be fed and our inner being strengthened for that big call that you call us for, to be fishers of people with you and to trust you along the way, trust that you are working in us and through us and around us in ways that we can't imagine or think of and trust that you are going to use us for your glory no matter how inadequate we feel. Thank you that you've given us everything we need for this mission. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.